and welcome to episode 147 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line, maybe four or five miles to the west, it's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. I'm not in the basement this time. I love your office. Your office looks nice. I got books, and uh, I'm not in the basement. I'm off hardwire connection, unfortunately, but... Uh, you know, it's been raining here all day to talk about the I'm going to take over Shane's spot of talking about the weather. And uh, the sump pit in my basement is filling with water. My fingers are crossed that it will do its thing and we won't get any water. Now, for the listeners at home, the sump pit has a sump pump. Right. And the sump pump is is working right now because it's it's raining. Yep. I hope it's working. Right now, it's just filling. It's getting to the point where it has to tip me over and pour me out, you know? Right. We're waiting for that sump pump to turn on and start chugging water outside. Where does the water go, Dave? Into my yard, just via a pipe out into the backyard. Yeah, and I didn't think people would want to hear the dripply, drabbly noise from that, and then maybe in the middle of it, either kicking on or me going, oh, sh**, (laughs) my basement's filling with water. Yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. I am disappointed that uh, Shane's not here today. Mm-hmm. Well, he got flooded away. <laughs> he went down the river Styx. Yeah, down the Colorado River. He's in my sump pump. Your sump pump. So he's going to end up in your front yard. We just don't know when. Right, eventually. We'll probably hear it. He's pretty loud when he yells. <laughs> That's right. I've, you know, I don't know if I've ever heard him yell with with his voice, just with his tone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's just kind of a stern stern adversary stan you said that you found a new a new beach boys song that you're obsessed with yeah it's on surfs up that is the uh the dark the dark ending of a certain era of the beach boys depending on how you calculate things yeah the song is feel flows it was the closing credits of the film almost famous which Mm. i uh revisited yesterday because my wife had never seen it and you know it's kind of a teenage boy movie but she got a kick out of it and the song feel flows what a beautiful track by the beach boys Mm mm-hmm Beach Boy is kind of a blind spot for me, musically. Like, I love the Beatles, the Who, Zeppelin. Like, I like a lot of bands from that era, but I never really got into the Beach Boys. Have you listened to Pet Sounds much, though? Or are you conversant in Pet Sounds? I've listened to a little bit of Pet Sounds, and the hits are great. Like, yeah. Stone Cold Classics. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever really fallen in love with Pet Sounds as a record. Oh, man, it's one of the best. It's one of the best front to back, I think. All right, good to know. My favorite, less heralded Beach Boys track would be... I think it's called I Can Hear Music, and it's on one of their later kind of like compilation-y ones, I think, I think it is. And it's a, it's a bit of a radio banger kind of hit. Like It sounds like a final top 40 play from a band that's kind of like losing their way a little bit, but it's a great, great hook. Great, great harmonies. Can I tell you a totally... Great harmonies on a Beach Boys song? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, my legit favorite Beach Boys song is God Only Knows, but like that's not a great answer. Yeah, that's like saying your favorite rock song, Stairway to Heaven. Exactly. Can I tell you a bit of a, a bit of a, an anecdote while we're here and there's only two of us taking up the oxygen this week? What's great is with Shane gone, we can talk about whatever we want. We may or may not even touch on magic today. I think, well, we are going to talk about the magic, the magic of the Beach Boys. Yeah. Today. Um, I, I got to go to a DVD taping. I'm going to tie this back to Almost Famous, actually. Okay. Uh, back like 2005, when Brian Wilson released Smile, he finally finished the album that sort of Uh, made him give up music for a while. And when he was really struggling with uh, some of his struggles, he has, there's this unfinished album called smile that has a number of different things on it that he finished in like 2005 and released. 
And I knew somebody who knew somebody who took me along to a DVD taping that was going to go along with like the deluxe version of the uh, the album. And um, we were like seat fillers, basically. So I flew out to LA, got to see the rehearsal day beforehand where they do the push. So when you do like a real DVD taping, they do a couple of different filming sets, right? And so they had one day where they're doing all the close-ups and then they did film another set in front of a live audience. I got to go to both of them. But the second one... We were just hanging out and, you know, we were like, oh, look who's here. Like there's Rick Rubin is here and there's Sean Lennon here. And there's the guys from, what was the name of that band with Jack White and Brendan Benson, the Raconteurs. The guys from the Raconteurs are here, not Jack White. And then we're sitting like 10 rows back and my friend was friends with the producer and she came up and she said, hey, you got to like, we have some empty seats up front in row three. Can you guys go sit in those seats so they're not empty? And we were like, okay, so we go sit down and... um I sit down on the end seat. My friend sits in the next seat and he looks over and the person sitting next to him is uh, Zoe Deschanel, actually. <laughs> and sitting next to her is uh, Jason Schwartzman. And then sitting next to him is his, is his mom, Talia Shire. And then sitting next to her is uh, Roman Coppola. Oh my God. Well, that's Schwartzman's like, like step-parent or something? They're all Coppolas. Yeah. Yeah. Schwartzman's a Coppola. Yeah. yeah. So he, oh, she, she's not, Zoe Deschanel isn't, but, and she looked at us and she's like, hi, <laughs> like, who are you guys? And we're like, we are nobodies. And she was like, well, welcome. We're to- just happy to be here. Yeah. And she was like, well, welcome to Rosie as in Coppola. <laughs> and yeah. so the tying it all back is that she was an almost famous. And at this point she was really only known for almost famous and elf. And that was it. It was a breakout role for her. Anyway. Almost famous. Good movie. Um, feel flows. Beautiful song. It reminded me of Animal Collective. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like, I, th- I think it harkens to that Animal Collective sound that's inspired by the Beach Boys. Yep. Which I think is the best Animal Collective sound, but that's that's just me because I'm kind of middle on Animal Collective. But hey, listen. Good talk. <laughs> uh, everybody who's still here, I mean, some of this is going to get cut, but you know, I just wanted I to- I hope not. I didn't know what to do for the intro today, so I figured let's just go for it. Maybe we should tell people what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Let's take a stab at it. Shane's gone, but we still played Magic. We played some four-color piles in preparation for this week's episode. We started out exploring elementals and footfalls, and then we recognized that those were some really greedy decks, and we figured, why not make that the theme of the episode? Greed? Yeah, but not the card from MH2. Oh, right. And Legends, for that matter. Correct. Yeah, so we're talking about elementals, we're talking about crashing footfalls, tying into the four-color and the teamer versions of that deck. Yeah, and this is chapter three of our Road to Vegas, I guess, really, where we look at all these four-color-ish decks and uh, talk about it. That's right. We're also going to kick off with a look at the NRG Modern Trial that was held here in Chicago on Saturday. Pretty big publicized modern paper event. Big show out there, as well as the Saturday Modern Challenge, which had a murderer's row in the top eight. We're excited to cover the decks we saw there. Before all that, though, I know Shane's not here, but can we housekeep? I mean, we're going to do it twice as long with Shane since Shane's not here. So let's let's just stretch out in this housekeeping segment. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Mo S. and Chris S. No relation. The S. Brothers, well known. Yeah. From S. Brothers from other mothers, however. Mm-hmm. Also, thanks to some new reviews, we got overexcited about everything. That was their username. Yeah, they gave us a sort of regular level of excitement review, which we very much appreciated. It wasn't, it was, there weren't too many exclamation marks in it or anything like that. It just was a very nice thing that they said about yeah, us. Yeah, really well punctuated. Yeah. Also, thanks to Matthew R., who submitted a very friendly review to us via Pod and Box. So we got to hear his kind words, which was a really 
unique way to use Pod and Box. Thank you, Matthew. If anyone else wants to share feedback with us via Pod and Box, that's one way to do it. Or if you want to hear yourself on the podcast, The Dive Down, you can submit an audio snippet with a question to Pod and Box dot com slash the dive down and you may hear it on a future episode and of course uh the best way to kind of hang out with us and interact is by joining the patreon uh, we're supported by the members of our patreon make that they make the the show possible. Uh, it's patreon.com the dive down where as little as $1 an episode gets you access to the discord server where we chat, talk about stuff, make friends, talk about the beach boys, a lot of dune dune in going on this week. A lot of people had takes about, about that particular piece of media. I haven't seen it yet. And yeah. So if you want to support us, please find us at patreon.com slash the dive down. I will say deck boxes. Here's an update. We have a date that we have to turn in the artwork by from Legion supplies who are going to be making it. It's the end of the first week of November, so they will be done by then. Whoa, this is news to me. Yeah, yeah, they have. They gave us like a, hey, if you guys want to get in the next batch of printing, this is when it's happening. So we need to do it. Does that mean we have a idea of when the boxes will be in our hands to distribute? I think it's probably a couple of months because they are, they do take shipping, they're printed internationally. Mm. So um, we will, it'll take some time still to get those from here, but that is when we will be finishing up the design work. So... We we expect to ship deck boxes Q1 2022. That's my guess. Don't don't expect them under your Christmas tree, but sometime after that, I would say under your holiday tree. I'm sorry to, <laughs> to say that. Yeah, maybe you can celebrate Chinese New Year with a dive down deck box. Yeah, that sounds like maybe timing that could happen. It could happen. Yeah. Also, if you want to support the show while playing Magic, we have a Mana Traders promo code. It's the Dive Down 2021, and if you use it, you'll get 15 percent off your first two months of playing Magic Online via Mana Traders. All of these Road to Las Vegas episodes truly made possible by Mana Traders, so thank you. I'll say. Boy, Modern got expensive on on Moto lately, hasn't it? It sure has. Yeah. But that's not my problem. All right, with all that out of the way, let's just jump right into this breakdown. We got a lot of tournaments to cover. Many decks. Stan, are you going to be at the news desk today? You're just you're doing this all, and I'm kind of adding the color commentary. I'm I up, like that. I'm up for it. I like that. All right, let's start with the Saturday Modern Challenge. It's got a lot of familiar names, which I think we're going to have fun talking about. You may have already heard some of these results. Let's just go through the top eight, starting with the winner of the event, up-and-coming Magic player Aspiring Spike. Yes. Took the whole thing down with Esper Reanimator. Mm-hmm. Deck he's been playing a little bit lately. Uh, maybe we could go into a little bit more depth about it but uh, once we go through the whole list. But I will say, uh, this is Everett's first time winning a challenge, he mentioned. I guess he had come in second a few times. He's been in the top eight many times. But this was the first challenge that he actually won. Interesting. I, I do recall that time that I think he and Yama Killer ended in the finals of a PTQ and Yama scooped to him because Yama was already qualified for the event. Right, yeah. But this is a different different tournament yep yep different tournaments Everett has certainly won but yeah first time for the for the challenge right on congrats Everett. why don't we why don't we go into this deck a little bit i guess sure it does have the body of what a lot of people might expect from a modern reanimator shell with your persist unmarked grave combo he threw in unburial rights um grief solitude and archon mm-hmm. of emiria uh cruelty archon of cruelty thank yeah. you i think archon of emiria is a different card <laughs> yeah i just wrote archon in my notes what I think makes his Esper version a little bit unique is that he's also playing blue for cards such as Teferi, Time Raveler, mm-hmm. Mold Drifter, mm-hmm. and Faithful Mending. Yes. Faithful Mending, I think people saw coming, right? Of course, it's Mold yeah. Drifter that seems to be the sort of like tech that people didn't think would make sense in a shell like this. But hey, guess what? 
we're going to be talking about Muldrifter a lot this week because suddenly 2007's uh, draft common staple is Modern's new little piece of tech that greases your wheels, I guess. But yeah, this deck, when you really look at it, it's not that many different cards. It's a pretty like svelte list. It's not trying to get tricky with it. There's no, you know, Stoneforge package in here as a backup. It's just all in. You know, there's not even a uh, Sarah's Emissary main. There's only Sarah's Emissary in the sideboard to bring in for matchups where it matters. What you're really doing here is trying to win with our kind of cruelty or through grief slash solitude kind of combat if you get to that point. But this deck is very much in on the ephemerate grief plan as being the primary way that it does disruption only 21 lands which i thought was kind of surprisingly lean and maybe the fact that you know we're using faithful mending to get through the deck and set up some of our graveyard payoffs helps find those land drops mm -hmm. but i think with cards like teferi time reveler especially and and even mold drifter being sort of that three mana top of the curve i think you'd want more than 21 but here we are don't eat it don't eat it. Second place, Doomwake on four color crashing footfalls. Yeah, what? featuring Yorian. What a finals too. Yeah. Like Doomwake versus you know versus Ever. They certainly are two people who talk to each other a good amount. I think they've collaborated on a things a couple of times here and there. But um, interesting to see these streamers keep rising to the top of and making top eights. And I know there's more in this top eight, but um, Doomwake kind of had the hype deck of the week. I would say, right, with this particular build. That's right. It was so hyped that I'm not going to talk about it right now because I played it for the dive down, and I'll go into more details later. But this is a Yorion deck with a Crashing Footfalls combo in a controlling elemental package. Yeah, 80-card deck. All right. That's a lot of cards. Who is next? Third place, we got Canister with four-color Ephemerate. Wow. That's another Yorian deck, by the way. Amazing. Now, I will say, I did not, we did not play this exact deck for, for this week, but we certainly will be talking about this kind of deck in the dive down as well, just because it's four color week, as we mentioned. But yeah, this is one of the more controlly kind of builds of this. It's less all in on the elemental idea and more all in and, and on ephemerate and Yorian and good comes in playabilities. It has Eternal Witness and Ice Fang Coatl. It's got a time warp. So it's doing some stuff that's different from the four color elemental list that we saw earlier while featuring many of the same cards still. Fourth place, Crusher Bot BG with Hammer Time. That's right. So this is a, I mean, this is listed as Mono White Hammer, but it, it does still have the silent clearings. And what looked a little bit unique about this deck to me is that it had a lot of equipment in the main deck. Yes. Two Paradise Mantle, a Sword of Fire and Ice, a Cranial Plating, and a Nettle Cyst in addition to the Hammers. Yeah, and I think what we should talk about here is the, the thing about CrusherBot's list is that uh, it does not play Luris as a result of having this these extra uh, search targets for Stoneforge Mystic in the deck. You lose the ability to play Luris, but they ha have been apparently playing this deck for a little bit. I read in Bamzing's post about uh, this tournament that this player is kind of well known for this deck that also has sort of Fire and Ice and Nettle Cyst in it specifically that make you have a little bit of different outs or things to do with your mana, with your Stoneforge Mystics, and things to do with Artifact Synergy like Cranial Plating um, as, a, as a backup. The cranial Plating I know comes up sometimes in Hammer, but it's a different take on Hammer for sure. One of the most interesting cards to me was three defense grid in the sideboard, which is like a card I haven't seen a ton of these days, but trying to make make it uh, more taxing for people to do things on your turn. Yeah, they've also got a sort of sinew and steel, which is the pro black red sword in in the sideboard. What do you think that's good for? I mean, I imagine it's for the Junt matchup to turn off Junt's removal as much as you can. You know, it makes it makes terminate not work anymore. 
It makes Unholy Heat not work anymore. Yeah, and you can blow up both Urza tokens or Renin Sixes if it connects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering, what are we trying to kill? Oh, yeah, with the second trigger here. Whatever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy up to one target Planeswalker and up to one target artifact. So, yeah, if you get through, you do get to take shots at, at some of those other some of those pieces that people have. Mm-hmm. Cool deck. Fifth place, Demonic Tutors on Yogmoth. Now, Demonic Tutors is a known Yogmoth player. Mm-hmm. I believe one of the challenge two weeks ago won a challenge on on playing Yogmoth and plays has been streaming it a lot. Um, they're high on the leaderboard this time as well. Yeah. So one Giralf's Messenger in this version of Yogmoth, which I thought was pretty interesting because Giralf's Messenger is one of the key combo cards to kind of win with Yogmoth on the spot. And instead, they've got uh, an Endurance in addition to that Messenger, I think, in that slot. Just another powerful tool to kind of go up the chain and Eldritch Evolution into. Yep, exactly. And our, um, you know, we have a very dedicated Yogmoth player in our Discord community named Aaron, who was talking a little bit about this earlier and um, participates in the Yogmoth kind of uh, Discord as well. And he had told us that uh, Demonic Tutors kind of has kind of crafted this deck to make it much more all in on the combo mm-hmm. version instead. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that you need more pieces, like more redundancy in the combo. What you do is you plan to like search it up with your, um, you plan to use that as a combo piece only. So you really don't ever want to draw Geralt's messenger. You want to tutor it up later when you're ready to actually try to win. That's, that's why you're doing it that way with Eldritch Revolution or your court of calling. Right. Sixth place. We got, ETW for the win on Teamer Footballs. Mm-hmm. Pretty stock list. Uh, seventh place, Sneaky Misato on another four-color Ephemerate deck featuring Yorian. Very close to Canister's list, Look, glancing over it right now. Yeah. And in eighth place, Zikari on Affinity featuring Yagantha. I did not notice that the eighth place person in this challenge was, was on Affinity. That is very cool. Yeah. And I was wondering whether all these four or more mana artifact creatures with affinity are actually good right now against a lot of decks that are counting on things like prismatic ending as their primary removal spell Mm -hmm. so maybe this is just vulnerable to supreme verdict but it can otherwise you know go pretty wide and and go big and and kind of dodge a lot of removal or at least some of the more popular removal that's in the format right now yeah i think that makes a lot of sense sort of sinew and steel seems pretty good against this deck though right (laughs) Gonna, gonna get rid of an artifact every time if yeah. I, if you hit them. All right. So uh, like we said, the finals ended up being Aspiring Spike versus Doomwake. It was quite a match. I actually tuned in in time to watch the finals itself. Um, I think it's worth going back and watching either on Doomwake's stream or Everett's stream. The final match itself was pretty short. You know, the first game went to uh, the first game went to Doomwake pretty quickly, uh, and then the second game went to Everett pretty quickly, and then the third game was pretty interesting. Kind of like. Everett had to mull the five and then ended up being able to Grethemorate on turn one uh, mm. to be able to do some, you know, take a bunch of cards away from Doomwake and then managed to draw into mana to cast Fairy on turn three when Doomwake did not have a force negation to stop it from happening. And so it really disrupted kind of Doomwake's plans. And then, you know, there were a couple more key decisions after that. And that was kind of like basically enough to seal the deal. Interesting. It was a cool match, though. Yeah. In terms of this overall metagame breakdown from the top 32, Teamer Footfalls was, in fact, the most popular deck hmm. in the tournament with four copies. And then we had a bunch of three ofs, including Four Color Ephemerate, Yogmoth was a three of, Jun Saga, and Hammer Time. 
Wow, amazing. Yeah, Yawgmoth getting really popular there. That's a lot more than you would usually expect to see in one of these tournaments, especially in the top 32. You know, these usually have, I think, around 90 people in them. So yeah, keep your eye on Yawgmoth, I guess. Yeah. And then we got a bunch of one-ofs, but coming up the rear, two copies each of Bring to Light Scape Shift and Blue-White Control featuring Kahira. So kind of the spread we would expect. Less Merktide, less Burn than perhaps we're used to. But otherwise, Blue-White Control, Hammer of Falls, Junsaga, still leading the pack. And then we got a couple, you know, these more up-and-coming decks, whether it's these four-color Ephemerate versions or even Black-Green Yawgmoth, which has been around for a while, but I think... People are starting to take more and more notice of this deck's potential, especially in the hands of really dedicated pilots. Yep. Yeah, it really felt like this week that four color was just everywhere on social media and it was everywhere in the queues when I played. So I think we have our good timing for the decks we decided to play this week as well. You know, it does make me wonder whether this is the week to play Blood Moon main. You know, whether you can play a Blue Moon or a Ponza style deck and see if you can try to punish people who are going after whether it's you know, these three color control decks or even some of these four color elemental backed, you know, piles essentially. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not, it's not easy to get out of Blood Moon with, with the deck that I played for sure. So we'll see. I'm not sure if if it's going to be that way going forward, but I think that playing Blood Moon this week probably could have been a good, helpful thing. And actually speaking of that, why don't we talk about this modern Nerd Rage Games tournament that happened on Saturday as well. Live paper tournament in Chicago from well-known shop out in the suburbs here, Nerd Rage Games. They do have, generally have coverage. I don't think they had coverage this time, but they have at different points in time. So we'd like to support Nerd Rage by giving them a little bit of a head nod here on the show. And plus, Paper Modern Tournament. Let's go through the top eight. Robert Hayes won the tournament on four color elementals. Kind of a stock list you have noted here, Stan, but they were running Lightning Bolts and Lightning Helix, which doesn't happen in every single one of these decks. Correct. Yeah. I, You know, these elemental decks, I mean, I've seen some prismatic endings. I'll see interaction here and there, but the power of these elementals, especially these new ones, is they get to replace these spells. But Robert or Bob decided otherwise. So I thought that was kind of a neat, a neat juke. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's it does depend sometimes on if you want to have reach, right? Like sometimes it helps. The deck that I played, and we can talk about this more later, actually favored Robert's list has Teferi uh, Time Raveler on it. Mine only had Run in Six. And so I can see in the decks where you're playing Run in Six, maybe playing Lightning Bolt occasionally so that you can get some value out of the ultimate if you manage to get there. Not too much to do in the list with it in the list that I was, but Robert's running Teferi here. Um, so maybe it's just for a little bit of extra removal, a little bit of extra reach. Second place, Daniel MTG with Demir Mill. Nothing too new there, although it is interesting to see Mill make the end of a paper tournament like this, one of the first ones. Yeah. And, and you know, Mill is one of those decks, especially with all the tools that they've been getting in the last year, that really easy to hate if you're prepared for it. And I think even Endurance is a really solid card against Mill, which is a pretty popular sideboard card right now. You just Endurance targeting yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're not prepared for Mill, it's like, it's like Dredge used to be, where it's just going to run away with the tournament and take everyone by surprise and i wonder if that's what happened here absolutely third place matt dow on orzov hammer you know hammer list we got it it's here this one is one that is also oh it is running luris still so it's more of a standard build yeah fourth place connor mullaly on teamer crashing footfalls pretty stock yeah good deck does good here's a good one for us fifth place philip nuyen on 
Is it control? This is Blue Moon Dog. Well, we knew that you would want to stop on this deck if we had any any reason to. Here it is. What's what's Blue Moon look like this week? Four Snapcaster Mage, four Murktide Regent, one Brazen Borrower, two Blood Moon, and then a bunch of spells. Mm-hmm. Included Electrolyze. One Electrolyze. We're running Electrolyze. Probably great against Hammer. You know, yeah. To be honest, get a couple of X ones. Yeah, good against Hammer. Not good against Ragavan. Really, you know what I mean? Because it's too late yeah. by the time. Although eventually you're you're dashing Ragavan. No, that's true. It's probably good against a dash Ragavan. Yep, and, and maybe even okay against uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler if if the graveyard hasn't been you know properly deliriumized. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's something I've noticed about these Blue Moon decks, especially the ones that. The pen sword has been working on is with the addition of Murktide Regent, all of their cantrips are filling up the yard. They're playing four thoughts cow or four consider, which in turn then makes your snapcaster mages even better. So you don't necessarily have to count on, you know, finding a counter spell the first time in order to snap it back later. You can just mill it into your graveyard. And these decks fill up the yard pretty quickly from what I've seen in some of Jacob's streams. Hmm. It's interesting to see this take where it's not as aggressive, right, as people were as like what we think of for Murktide. It's mm-hmm. like a bigger version of Murktide now where we're snapping stuff and brazen borrowing. Yeah. All right, fifth, uh, sorry, sixth place, we have Azorius Control. Pretty stock version of this. Three Chalice Main, a couple of Shark Typhoon, a couple of Spreading Seas. Good deck. Very familiar with what with what we've pretty much maps exactly with, I think, the deck that you were, would have been playing last week. Stan yeah. still yeah, has two Memory Deluge Main. Exactly the same as the one I played last week. That's awesome. You still like this deck? I guess I we'll do. find out. Yeah, I, I mean, it's got one card in there that I think is really, really good. But we'll talk about that card a bit more later. Okay. And then seventh place, Victor Wood on four color Rhinos. This is a Yorion deck. So this is the Doomwake deck, basically, yeah. from earlier last week. Someone picked it up and took it in a paper and managed to top eight with it as well. Yeah, I think this is um, Doomwake's exact list, even. I'm, yep. I'm kind of checking out the sideboard, and it looks like this person acted fast. So there you go. And then Someone eight, else took it to a top eight. That's right. And then eighth place, Dale Gemmies with Red White Burn. No deck list available of, of that one right now, but made it in the top eight at six, two, and one. All right. So there were 200 players who played in this tournament, right, Stan? Yeah, like 211. And among them, we know 186 of the decks that are on MTG Melee's website for this particular tournament. So of those one hit 186, we do have a little bit of a metagame snapshot. So I didn't go through it manually to organize all these decks. Mm-hmm. MTG Melee organized it a little bit for us. I think because we don't have all the deck lists, these percentages might be a little wonky, but they give us a sense of what was popular throughout the day. And the most popular deck, according to MTG Melee, was Jund. No kidding. In a paper tournament, Jund was the most, most popular deck? You know, Dave, I've always said the Midwest is a very Jund meta. That's right. I think and it just here, means here we are. people are trying to play Paper Magic again, and they're all getting their John decks out. I wonder how many of them were foil. I would say most of them. Most of them. 21 of these 186 decks, about 11% were Jund. Wow. 10% of the field is actually pretty pretty big. You know, I keep thinking about last week when I said that Jund was going to be 7.5% of the meta at, at Vegas, and I was like, that's big, actually. I, I stick by what I said last week where I thought it might be the fourth or fifth most played deck, but I think uh, in that case, MetaShare is probably lower than 7.5%, but don't, you know, sound off in the comments. Look, it's a good bet because John is just like, 
this super popular paper deck. People like to jund them out, jund out their opponents, have expensive cards. I think it's half the appeal of modern is having these super expensive decks. So you can sort of see why, you know, jund might have been the most popular deck, at least this weekend in Chicago. Followed by another very expensive deck. Blue White Control came in second place, 17 copies, just under 10%. You know, these two are like two peas in a pod in terms of like what modern paper players love to gravitate towards. I think you're either a a Jund player or a Blue White Control player at heart, or Tron is the third one of the trifecta. (laughs) Maybe we can throw Burn in there. Yeah, I think Burn Burn is somewhere in that map too. It's the four poles of our our circus tent, right? It's a pretty boring circus tent if it's only got four (laughs) corners. Don't those usually have six, 12 nine corners something fun you know i'm not an architect dave okay i'm a marketer so yeah blue white control second place third place was burn 14 copies eight percent um up next black white hammer 13 copies so that's coming up in paper um is it tempo was really popular fifth most popular deck with 11 copies and then uh the last of the five or more copies bracket were eldrazi tron and four color elementals mm-hmm. um and then the remaining hundred or so decks that MTG Amelia has spelled out fell into the other bracket. I think a lot of these decks are named by the player. Yeah. And I think for that reason, that also skews the data because, you know, Four Color Rhinos or Crashing Foot Falls might have come up as different decks in this data. So maybe, so maybe someone who wants to like take the time to do the spreadsheets manually will find that certain other decks were also very popular. Yeah, but Stan has a baby. He didn't have a chance to do it. So we didn't do it this week. I'm retired from pivot tables. Yeah, for now. You'll be back. I, you can't stay away. You can't stop the pivot. We know you can't. I know. You love That's it. That's true. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for putting together this uh, breakdown of some really fun tournaments that happened this weekend. I know that there were some other tournaments on Magic Online this weekend. I think there was two PTQs, another challenge, of course. It's a lot going on. A lot of people playing modern this day these days. It really feels like um, people are putting effort in and having a good time. I think. So with that in mind, we're going we're gonna to continue trying to help people get ready for the big GP non-GP coming up in Vegas in about three weeks. So stay with us. All right. Thanks for sticking with us and welcome to part three of the road to Vegas, which means that right now we are driving, I guess, somewhere between, I don't know, where does the road to Vegas go are we on route well, 66 think- are we are we in radiator springs is that what have what's happening yeah i mean we did have to stop for gas mm-hmm. at radiator springs yeah and then MapQuest took us through some country roads mm-hmm. so uh, at this point we're just trying to find some like lights to follow and figure out where civilization is perfect and the bright lights of the big city of vegas are coming up somewhere we're continuing to take a tour around the modern meta right now we've been having fun with this i hope that people have been having fun listening to just trying out different decks and just looking at the top decks in the meta right now and we kind of realized that one group of decks that we talked about a little bit last week is really ascending and that is basically all these four color piles all kinds of different four color decks um and there's a lot of them really and well, I don't think that they're the same deck at all. We did kind of want to think about them all as a group because they share some common cards and they share some common play patterns. And so when you look around the meta, especially, you know, we just talked about two really good and representative tournaments, I think, of what the meta is like. There's basically four-ish different things, 
right? So there's kind of your old school four color elementals that are that are in on elemental tribal in a way. They're they have risen reef in the deck still to be able to feature as like a payoff for playing other elementals to use to draw cards. Mold Drifter is in there. You know, you have your Omnath kind of thing going on. If you step one degree away from those decks, you know, I kind of hinted towards this earlier in the breakdown. There's sort of these four color controlish shells, and we've talked about them a few different times. That these are control decks that are sort of akin to where the meta started to go before Field of the Dead was banned, where you have these kind of Omnath control decks that have core creature interaction elementals like Fury and Solitude still in their deck list, but they don't have Risen Reef. They don't necessarily have other things that capitalize on elemental strategy like Flamekin Harbinger that appears in the elemental list sometimes, stuff like that. What they have instead are cards that are other cards that are good with ephemerate instead of instead of elementals things like ice fang coatl things like eternal witness they have more spells sometimes they have more counter spells sometimes they have more more lightning bolts and things like that in them so they're a bit more controlish and then sometimes either one of these decks become 80 card decks that are uh yorian decks right so you have control decks that are trying to do ephemerate type things you know the yorian decks that get to that size sometimes they're trying to do infinite turns combos with eternal witness and uh, ephemerate and time warp and things like that they're usually playing uh renin six and teferi three uh sometimes the regular elemental creatures decks kind of swell up to be yorian decks as well so that's kind of like maybe two other shells that fit this and then finally we have these decks that play either these control or kind of creature value games, but then they also jam a combo into them. Now, previous weeks to now, you would see occasionally things like Sahili Rai and Felidar Guardian in a deck like this, because actually Sahili Rai and Felidar Guardian are both pretty good with creatures that have come into play abilities, right? Because you can make a copy of it or you can blink them with those cards. If you get both of them, Yahtzee, you get an infinite combo and you can try to finish the game that way as well. But what's happened this week is that the deck um, that Doomwake brought to the table or kind of helped design recently um, brings that Cascade shell combined together with Elemental. So you have these kind of ones that are a bit more combo-ish in the zone as well. But the key is, I see, I've been seeing a lot of these over the last week or two, and I think that while they are very different decks, like I said, I do think there's a common core of good cards that unify these disparate versions into um, sort of like cousins of each other. What do you think about that, Stan? I think you're onto something. I I do think there are several important cards that kind of keep it all together that are indicative of the power level of going into all these extra colors and sort of the ceiling that they hit. And I think maybe what we'll talk about today is whether or not these cards contribute to positive or even negative gameplay experiences and how they actually can impact the different metagames that we're seeing right now and, and really the top decks within the metagame too. Yeah. For now, let's talk about what these cards are. So everybody close your eyes as long as you're not driving. Close your eyes and imagine the first card that we're going to talk about that's in all of these decks. So Stan, the first card that comes to mind when you're thinking about these decks, what what is it? It's low-key become the most popular creature in modern. Mm-hmm. Or so it feels. And it's, so it's Dragon's Rage Channeler? It's the other one. Okay. Ragavan? The other, no, the one in the best color. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it is. It's Solitude. It is. Should we read these cards? People know what Solitude is. If you're, look, if you're in our van on the road to Las Vegas trying to find, you know, how to read these directions, 
you know what solitude is. Yeah, if you don't know what solitude is, we're going to drop you off in Tucson alone where you can experience some solitude. So solitude in and of itself, great threat, but it also helps answer your opponent's creatures. And people are now starting to abuse it in a variety of shells. We see it in control decks like Blue Eye Control we talked about last week. We're seeing it in the Elementals Tribal deck. And we're just seeing in some of these good stuff mid-range piles. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think when, when these cards were spoiled, these Evoke Elementals, everyone was like, these are going to be awesome with Ephemerate. And then that's the where you're really kind of like doing it, where you're like, oh, if I get Solitude into play and Ephemerate, I get to get rid of three creatures ultimately as a result of it and uh, also keep my card for the low price of three cards of my own and one mana, which is really incredible for efficiency's sake. But there are a lot of decks that don't even bother trying to, to do blinky stuff with these cards. They're, they're that good. And like Stan said, they're in blue it's in blue white it's all over the place but it's one of the key cards for sure in all these four color piles they all have four solitude main okay another one also appears in some control decks but not the blue white ones and that's fury Mm -hmm. fury and solitude interesting kind of like partners in crime because what they do is they provide a lot of free ways for your decks to interact with creatures for uh no mana right so you give yourself temporary card disadvantage or sometimes not even card disadvantage depending on what happens when you cast a fury to be able to have a really incredible creature interaction suite and that's really what happens what i think is happening with these cards together i think it's also worth noting that fury hits walkers yeah and we're going to get to in a second but among the most important cards in the format and in these decks is a planeswalker very popular right now and fury doesn't always kill it on the spot but it really pressures loyalty count of some of these walkers um and like for a card like jace or renin six it might even kill it on the spot depending on how you time them yep yeah and fury that i think that's one of the things that makes fury even playable really i mean fury is a great card I think it probably would still be playable if it was just Pyrokinesis or whatever. I think that was the name of the card, that the pitch card from Alliances that it's based off of. But the fact that it also targets Planeswalkers and that you can split it between creatures and Planeswalkers is massive. It makes it makes you be able to play this card main against control decks and not worry about the fact that you have eight cards in your deck that are really creature removal um, that aren't great in every matchup, but because they're so flexible, they actually are great in almost every matchup. Mm-hmm. Now, the card that sort of unifies these, and especially unifies these in this archetype, because the two cards that we talked about are just at this point modern staples. This, the next card is Omnath. Um, which what's the full name of this Omnath? It's uh, the Locus of Creation. Yes, Omnath, Locus of Creation. The card that we thought was nothing that Everett told us was everything on the Zendikar spoilers episode. Stan is putting one up on the camera in my face right now. Here it is, Locus of Creation. Here, I'll put up all four. Oh, there's all four of them. Four hands to hold you. Look at his little hands. Yeah. So, as we know, Omnath, great threat, great advantage engine of different kinds. I think that one of the main things about Omnath, honestly, is that a secret benefit of it is that it's the only card in these decks. And take a look at the deck list and tell me what you think, Stan. It's the only card in these decks that can be pitched to both Solitude and Fury and Endurance, for that matter. And Force of Negation. Like, it's it, it's just... <sighs> Omnath does everything. Yeah. Right? Not only is it perfect with all these pitch spells, it also replaces itself. Which is absurd. <laughs> yeah. So, so if it eats a removal spell... NBD. It's pretty hard to kill with prismatic ending. Like you basically need prismatic ending in one of these four color piles, which they don't always run. Fury can kill it. Solitude can kill it, but they're potentially like 
two or three for one themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Where you drew a card off of it. Right. It, it, it can, if it sticks around, it generates a ton of value, right? It can sometimes even enable you to cast spells for free ostensibly because right. it produces mana off your second land drop. It saves you against aggro decks where it gains life. I think that's a big aspect of, of this particular, why this card is good as well. Yeah. Omnath really does do everything, everything. Yeah. It's a four mana card that's just backbreaking against burn, right? So it's like it has play against control, it has play against burn, and it's in so many matchups the best card you can draw, or even the best card to have in your hand because it enables all your other cards. Yeah, gives you options in every phase, basically. He's, he's I think he's the new mascot of the show. Mm, Shane might have some words about that. Okay, well, he's not here. We'll see. Maybe today it is. It's our mascot today. So we can make sweeping conclusions on Shane's behalf glad to let's talk about ren and sex next yeah so there's so those are the creatures and those creatures yeah. do appear in lot and basically every shell that we talked about above as as four of of each they're in the control decks they're in the elementals builds they're even in the combo decks that we talked about the Doomwake deck the sahili rifeld our guardian-esque versions as well they all have those those cards as full play sets but there's also two really important play planeswalkers that goes those as well generally now these cards aren't in every build but they do seem to be either one or the other is, and sometimes it's both. So like Stan said, let's talk about Ren and Six first. Uh, Ren and Six, you know, Modern Horizons, one staple card. Everybody thought it was going to go in Jun. Turned out, turns out it's just great in a lot of different things. Ren and Six in these decks can do a couple of different things. One is, the big one is that um, it fixes your mana. And it fixes mm-hmm. your mana over and over again. And I think that's a big part of what this card brings to these four-color decks. I mean... It's really drawing you a card every turn. Yeah. As long as you're ticking up, that card is always going to be a land. Um, but depending on the type of other lands you have in your deck, sometimes those lands convert into other pieces of cardboard. But the fact that you can open a two-lander with Ren and Six, if one of those is a fetch, you're just going to be fine for the rest of the game. Yeah. More often than not. Yeah. Even if they kill it after you play it. And it's not easy to kill it after you plus one it because it has four loyalty, so you can't bolt it. They'd have to use a fury on it basically to do it. Or ha- or have unholy heat online. Like that is possible. Yep. But you do get a card off of it, like Stan said, as long as you you set yourself up right when you play it. But it does some, a couple of other things too. You know, I mean, importantly, it can kill a one a one drop out of um out of hammer or kill a ragavan if you're on the play, you make it your your turn to play, which is just totally backbreaking against decks like that i think where they you have a planeswalker and you killed one of their premier threats just like that um you can also use it to fuel your drops for future omnath so you know using it to plus one for that uh, is important as well you get kind of like bigger mana explosions and extra life out of omnath once you do that and then finally you know the control decks tend to run a win condition that you can use with either combination of um, Eternal Witness or Renin Six to be able to do things like cast infinite turns and, and things like that, or infinite lightning bolts, basically to grind somebody down. Uh, they don't come up as much, but and some of the decks that we play don't actually have win conditions that can convert off of Renin Six's uh, ultimate, as I mentioned in the breakdown. But it's there and it's a plan that's totally viable. Okay, let's talk about the last Planeswalker which is love it or hate it. He's everywhere right now. Either he's the bane of your existence or he's a four of in your deck or both. Mm-hmm. That's Teferi Time Rabbler. Yep. It feels like every deck has Teferi in it suddenly, doesn't it? I mean, Blue White Control, Esper Reanimator, 
all of these decks, although with the notable exception of the deck that I was playing, didn't have any Teferis, but I think it should have. It's it's in like every deck. Yeah, I, I kind of came to the conclusion after this week of testing that Teferi might be the most important card in modern right now. Yeah. Where you're either playing it to disrupt what your opponents are doing, or you know, you live in fear of it and have to have a plan against Teferi. Yeah. And there's only, in my mind, a handful of the decks at the top of the meta that can just ignore it outright. Right. Yeah, and it even does lots of other kind of like passive disruption. You know, as we know, it makes counterspells bad. But, you know, a lot of the reason that people play this a lot is because it makes Cascade bad as well. It makes Cascade not work. Um, There's other kind of payoffs like that that it just makes not work because of its ability. Um, Anything that you suspend, anything that you try to cast at a weird time. Yeah, you know, Teferi's not always good. And I think we saw a meta... It's always great. (laughs) It's always the best walker. No, but we saw a meta game before MH2 where blue-white control was playing one, two, or even shaving him entirely. Right. Where, you know, we didn't have Cascaded, obviously. Um, It was after the Cascade Errata, so, like, all those Tibalt decks were gone. And the control decks just didn't have Counterspell yet, so they looked totally different. Sometimes they were Stoneforge decks, or they were Esper. Um, And we're just in this metagame right now where I think Teferi is either a must-kill or a must-play. And because Blue-Eye Control is one of the most popular decks in the format, um, we're seeing a lot of situations where games are just decided on who draws to fairy first. Yeah. And it gets more complicated too, because you start teching things in your deck that are good answers for Teferi, or you understand that you have to save a fury to try to kill Teferi, or you're trying to do, you know, you make sure that you hold a force negation for when they try to cast their Teferi and hope that when they go for it first, you have a window to cast your Teferi. So there is a little bit of these Teferi mirror kind of sub game going on that some people love, some people hate. Um, but I think it is the way things are right now. How, how do you feel about Teferi's position right now? I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it's one of the most prevalent. I think it's one of the most useful cards in the the meta right now. And as a result, it's just everywhere, everywhere. And so you have to know that it's coming. That's the big thing I would say is that if you're any kind of reactive deck who wants to play at instant speed, you have to remember that it's probably coming in like half of your matches that you're going to play. You're going to see Teferi and you need to know what to do. All right. Maybe we'll come back to some of these cards towards the end of the episode because I'm eager to talk about the decks we played. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for the digression. I think what we should do is hop to the hype deck of the week, which Stan played. Yes. Four color, yo rhinos. Yep. Yo rhinos. Doomwake, he was trophying with this deck, I think, you know, by Monday, if not even like the tail end of the previous week. So I believe that the the Twitter account was, and you know, shoot us a note if we're wrong, leave us a pod and box if we're wrong. But I think that, you know, Doomwake was kind of updating online after he put this list together and was, uh, I think he went 22 and three, including a 10 0 run at the beginning mm-hmm. where he got two trophies in a row with the first couple times he took it through uh, 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 leagues. And then Tunneling Cat, who's another kind of trophy competitor, also got a 5 0 the first time they played it. That's right. This is not the first version of four-color Cascade with Rhinos. In the earlier days of MH2, there was a 60-card four-color version that splashed white for Ardent Plea. And it was only Ardent Plea, so that you can have 12 Cascade spells in your deck. Eventually, it streamlined, became more consistently a teamer version. And, you know, Devin O'Donnell, aka Doomwake, 
has been coming and going and working on footfalls basically this whole time. And some of the innovations we've seen in the deck that are more or less staples now, including Prismari Command, which is basically in every version of the deck, mm-hmm. pretty sure Doomwake was the first person to run that card and, and kind of sing its merits about how effective it was as a pitch spell um, or just a metagame tool um, for what was happening in post-MH2 Modern. Yeah, I mean, it digs. It kills an artifact if you need it to, because which is important to get rid of Chalice of the Void. You're almost never going to face Chalice on three against a Cascade deck, you know? And then it also uh, lets you do a little bit of damage here and there if you need to. Or make a treasure, so you you can actually ramp a little bit off of it as well. But even though this new four-color Yorian version is kind of on the up and up, we saw it appear in two top eights that we talked about, came in second place in the Saturday Challenge. The Teamer version, the more streamlined 60-card deck, it's just been around for months. I think many of our listeners, if not most, are familiar with it. It won last Sunday's Modern PTQ, Mm -hmm. basically a staple in these challenges. It's in every league, of course. Um, I think it's proven itself to be more than just like a flash in the pan made possible by Shardless Agent. You know, unlike some of those Asmo food decks, which came and went, I think these footfall decks uh, have proven to be very resilient. Yeah. And we'll talk about why in a second. I do want to maybe itemize some of the key differences in the construction of the four color and the teamer versions, because it's not just the addition of four ardently, which then in turn makes the uh, the 80 card Yarion deck have 12 cascade cards right as, as opposed to teamer which just has eight in order to pad the footfalls deck Doomake is also running four solitude mm-hmm. because it's maybe the best creature in the format and four fury as well right which it does exist in teamer R- right right got you yeah so you're talking about differences but yeah good point likewise we're now adding four copies of teferi time raveler mm-hmm potentially the best card in the format. We talked about Omnath, Locus of Rage. We got four of those because we have room, card's good. It can be pitched to any of the free spells in this deck, and it provides just another potential closer if it sees any, if the Footfalls deck sees any type of hate. Whatever hate you're playing against the Cascade combo doesn't really touch Omnath itself. And those are really the only other new cards, right? The rest is extra lands. We got some reflecting pools. We got more fetches to play with Omnath, but it's not like we're adding chaff to make this deck bigger we're just putting in some really great cards you're adding 16 cards here and four lands is if this follows like what you've what you're talking about right um so there you go Mm -hmm. um the teamer deck the core of it has remained largely unchanged since the deck emerged there's just a handful of flex spots that have been updated here and there prismari command i mentioned was one of them season pyromancer has been getting really popular lately as a way to help refill your hand after you maybe used up a lot of your pitch spells like force of negation or fury early on maybe if you have dead cards in hand because your opponent played a chalice or a teferi you can use a seasoned pyromancer to make some tokens while getting rid of those dead cards a great card that's not you don't see it enough seasoned pyromancer it's nice to see it come up in this this build for sure yeah it's really really sexy dude also the teamer version has dead and gone pretty consistently whereas Doomwake's four-color version ran none. It was all in on Fire Ice. Teamer actually has a mix of Fire Ice and Dead and Gone, but mm-hmm. I think maybe we're splitting hairs there a little bit. In terms of why I think these Fafals decks have been around for so long and maybe have proven themselves to be more resilient within the metagame than something like the food decks, which kind of came and went, I think the most important one to point out is that these decks are just insanely consistent. And it's really designed to do one thing over and over, and that's Cascade into Rhinos. Mm -hmm. 
So that unless the opponent has very specific hate cards, you're just always going to do your thing. Do you do you feel like the the Yorian version is equally built to do Cascade into Footfalls as the 60 card is? Yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm just going to fast forward. One of the things that we did in preparation for this episode is we crunched some numbers. We, we revisited our friend, the hypergeometric calculator, mm-hmm. probability calculator. I mentioned that the Urian version has 12 Cascade cards, right? It's got Ardent Plea, Violent Outburst, and Chartless Agent, four of each. We're not including Footfalls in and of itself here. Right. Because you don't really ever want to actually pay the green for the footfalls. Right. With those 12 cards in an 80-card deck, you're about 70% to have a Cascade card in your opening hand. That's pretty good. Two-thirds. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. And obviously, the number goes up with each draw if it's not in your opener. Right. The teamer version, on the other hand, with only eight Cascade cards, you have a 65% chance to have a case Cascade spell in your opening hand. Surprise. So with those numbers, I think you can make the case that perhaps the Yorion version is more tuned to Cascade into Rhinos and potentially has an easier job of not having dead draws because you're less likely to draw the Rhino card whereas you're more likely to draw a Cascade card. Yeah, totally counterintuitive, I think. When you first saw it, it, it felt like when I first saw this, the Yorian deck, that it was kind of like, okay, what we're doing is we're hedging against a, a, we're hedging against a plan that is often really good, but you need to draw into it, and it doesn't always outright win you the game, but it often outright wins you the game mm-hmm. by subbing in more interaction that doesn't, get cascaded into in the form of more elementals and Omnath and things like that. But like you said, in reality, the math says that you're more likely to draw the cards that you want to make cascade go off in this deck than in the smaller one, which is very wild. And I don't think necessarily uh, what people would think just looking at the deck list. Totally. And we get to do both. We, we had our cake and eat it too, where not only are we, more likely to draw into a Cascade card, but we are also running more interaction, be it Teferi or Solitude. We still have the Force of Negations, we still have Fire Ice, we still have Brazen Borrowers to and, and, and Prismari Command to maybe deal with whatever your opponents are doing, be it Hate in the form of Chalice or Engineered Explosives or Teferi itself. But then also, you know, some of these interactive spells, especially the creatures, they're also your threats. They're alternate threats. So while in a perfect world, you might be able to do some end step petty theft to bounce a chalice and then use three more mana to violent outburst into some end of turn rhinos, that doesn't always work out. You really have to have like a three card combo practically in that in that situation. And instead... If you run into hate and you don't run in and, and you don't have like an anti-hate piece, you have all these other powerful creatures then that can also just serve as threats. Um, and something like Season Pyromancer to potentially ditch cards too. So what's it like playing the two different decks? Like, do you feel like they're very different outside of the percentages you talked about? Or do you think that um, it's a similar st- style and just for different times of the metagame? Right. Okay. So great question, Dave. Thank you. I think... The key difference, so I did two leagues, okay? I did a four-color league, and then I did a teamer league. And I played a ton of teamer in the yeah. months prior to this episode. Yeah, you've, you've been on it for a long time. All the times that Shane was doubting whether it was a real deck or not. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, Shane, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's still good. And it gets to play Cryptic Command sometimes. Trust fam. Well, I don't know if I like the Cryptic Command version. Right, I but tell you know, you. different points in time. But 
one of your favorite cards. I, I love Cryptic Command. Jace sometimes rears his ugly head. I don't know if that card belongs in the deck either, but right. it has a lot of my favorite cards and some fun new ones. Here's what I think the difference between the two of them is. This Yarion pile is more powerful because it has more good cards, which is not to say that it has better cards. It just has 20 extra cards that are all really, really good, including Teferi and Solitude. Totally. The Teamer version, however, even though you're about 5% less likely to have a Cascade spell in your opening hand. I do think it has a little bit of a better reactive counterplay strategy because you are alternatively more likely to draw your, you know, hate pieces or your interaction. So while, you know, the Yorion deck still has Prismari Command, by virtue of there only being four Prismari Command and that being the only main deck artifact hate you have, true hate, that isn't a Teferi Bounce, I think you're more likely to be in a situation with a teamer deck where you will draw into the thing you need to actually get out of a tight spot. Right. Whereas the Yorion deck is a little bit better at saying, I can't combo off, so I'm just going to play an Omnath and hope that that does the thing. Yeah, and I think one other thing that you can look at there too is that it it probably depends on what decks you think you're going to see, right? So if you're seeing a lot of decks that have main deck hate for footfalls, you know, people who have Teferi and people who have um, Chalice of the Void, then it, it might be that the four-color version isn't really great. But if you're seeing Burn and you're seeing decks that have a lot of creatures that you want to kill, I think that adding that extra... Because that's essentially what you're doing, right? When you add Solitude and you add Omnath, you're adding a great value engine that actually helps you against burn a lot, and you're adding another card that is a free creature kill card in in um, Solitude. And so I think that those help you if you're playing against, I don't know, Hammer a lot maybe, or things like that, where you're kind of like, oh, I got to kill creatures. You have you probably have increased odds to draw that kind of interaction, but you're right. You don't have increased odds to draw Prismari Command or Force Negation, which are important in different metagames, kind of. Right. And, and don't get me started on post-board games, right. which I think can be very important with a deck like this because of your post-board plan in general is to swap, you know, weak interaction for better interaction to run alongside your combo. I only sided my combo out once across my two leagues, but I did do it. Was uh sometimes I feel like I just have to. Was Jarvis you there to to say anything about it this time or no? Fortunately not. Fortunately not. But oh, we'll get into it later maybe, <laughs> but in any case, when you are counting on things like Mystical Dispute or Endurance or Force of Vigor to deal with whatever your opponent is, is, is throwing at you, when you're running an 80-card deck, you're just less likely to draw into those, those sideboard cards. Yeah. And you know something like Blood Moon, I think, makes you favored with the Teamer version against Tron. Whereas finding that Blood Moon in the four color version, which uh, I don't think Blood Moon is even in the four color version, you can't run Blood Moon. You blow yourself up, kind of. Yeah, you yeah. Just blow yourself up. I think that makes your Tron matchup quite a bit worse. Yeah, yeah. You run Obsidian Chain Maw instead, which is like not not as good. It's not yeah. as good. It costs five. Yeah. Right, and you're not a ramp deck. Right. I don't think you're playing that for Tron, really. Obsidian Chain Maw. No, you. I mean, I mean, you bring it in, but <laughs> that's not like you're not playing it because it's your Silver Bullet Tron hate because. By the time you're casting it, you could, they, they probably have Tron already. Mm, well, you can ca- if you're on the draw, you can cast it on turn two because... Oh, wait. No, no, you have to be on the... Sorry. If you're on the play, you can cast it on turn three when they only have two Tron pieces out. I think that's the ideal play pattern for that against Tron is like you play Red Red 1 for it and blow up one of their two Tron lands, I think is like what people are trying to do with that. 
in this deck because, like you said, they can't play Blood Moon and they don't really want to play um, Alpine Moon either. It's kind of not good enough. This spell costs one less for each land your opponent controls that can produce colorless mana. Right. Okay. Yeah, so it's better on the play than on the draw, which is true of Blood Moon too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good call. I, I, I don't think that... So I did play against Tron, but it was only with the team version. I don't think I had to make that dis- decision ever with with four colors. So I, I don't think that interaction occurred to me. Yeah. Well, I, I played against Tron with my four color build and it had Obsidian Chain Maw. And the only uh-huh. game I won against Tron was when I dropped Chain Maw on turn three. And then the next turn I cast Ephemerate on it. So I cool. killed one of their lands. Then on my, so they were hobbled for a turn. And then on my next turn, I cast Ephemerate on it and killed another one of their lands and then killed another one of their lands later. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually got me to turn the corner. But anyway, um, I think that's what people are trying to do with that. I don't think it's a great, great plan against Tron, but sometimes you get lucky. Yeah. So speaking of matchups. Yeah. So here's the thing. You know, I mentioned I played 10 matches, two leagues. I played a lot of the same decks over and over. Yeah. Me too this week for what it's worth. But yeah. And my matchup research was really hard because I kind of came to this conclusion that I'm a dog against any deck with Teferi Time Raveler. And I'm like have a fighting chance or even favored against any deck that doesn't have to vary. Yeah. And it, it's, it's because the cascade combo is still important enough. Even in the 80 card deck that has backup threats, you think that Teferi really messes with you still? Oh, a hundred percent. Because even if they landed Teferi, if you don't have a cascade or in your hand, the Teferi decks are still good against whatever else you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like Supreme verdict is still solid against Omnath or Solitude or whatever elementals you play. And I think because you're 70% to have a Cascade card, you're you're more likely to draw into it, and thus you're more likely to kind of fold to your opponent's hate. So that 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 kind of sucked. I, I did have, you know, several other matchups, and then I think from my experiences with the deck, I can infer my, you know, my uh Yeah, your other ones. My, That's my I'm other one too. So please This is the inference episode. Yeah. So with Hammer, I actually feel like this is a pretty winnable slash favored matchup for the false decks because you have main deck artifact hate you sort of need it to deal with chalice of the void but all your removal helps you know win you that game too right so even if you don't draw into a prismari command pitching a fury to maybe deal with three or four of their creatures will sometimes just win you the game on the spot yeah plus you have solitude that can get rid of something that has hammer attached to it so if you get in the point where you know you get to blockers you throw down a solitude like it's kind of tough for them to interact with that they really don't have any way to do it other than giver of runes and you have a pretty easy time getting rid of giver so i think that makes sense i think personally a lot of the decks that have fury and solitude main are probably favored against hammer and, and i'll say as much when when i play when i talk about what i played as well but right on i even think that if the hammer deck doesn't suit up a creature with a hammer or you know a nettle cyst your rhinos just outclass all their creatures too mm-hmm. so if they decide to block that's kind of their own undoing as well john does an interesting one where i think you get a lot better post board even though game one can be kind of tough though game two and three get a bit better since their tools to strip away your combo and can and even outclass rhinos get worse when you're bringing in things like blood moon and endurance or sometimes even clothis to shrink their graveyard present a new threat that is really hard to deal with or just shut them out of the game entirely with blood moon Mm -hmm. burn coin flip in my mind it's really about who gets the faster start and what type of interaction the Rhinos deck draws. I think one of the turning points with Rhinos is if you can cascade 
with at least 10 life, you'll probably close out the game. You do have a somewhat painful mana base though, especially in the Yorian version because of Omnath. And really just for the sake of padding your cards, you are running a ton of fetches. Mm -hmm. So you're doing a lot of damage to yourself. You're basically fetching almost every turn. So I think that can make the burn matchup a little harder. And then drawing into Omnath, that will sometimes win you the game, but your odds of drawing into Omnath aren't necessarily great. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you would be in a situation where you would exile your own creature with solitude to gain four life at instant speed? Or do you think that that's just kind of like not, not happening? Your creatures aren't big enough. Feels a little corner Casey to me. Yeah. It's, it's super corner Casey. It depends on, I think it really depends on your life total and whether you can still win. Mm -hmm. So I can see myself maybe solituding my own Rhino if I have less than 10 life and they, you know, have two or three cards in hand and maybe a Boros Charm on the stack. Right, totally. Um, but I think that's kind of like a Hail Mary with the hopes of winning in a turn or two after they've exhausted themselves. Yep. I like that play, though. I had to double-check the rewarding on Solitude to make sure you could do it. So you can't. Yeah. All right, Merktide is interesting because an unchecked Regent is super scary and you essentially have to draw either dead and gone and play the gone version of it or a brazen power to potentially win because the 8-8 flyer is just untenable for the rhinos deck otherwise well solitude again so that's if you have the four color version right and to yeah. fairy too but like i'm i'm here to make the case that the four color version isn't necessarily the superior version in every situation Ah, uh, okay i think you can make a strong argument for both and team are still defensible just because like your sideboard is so key in so many matchups and being able to play better interaction post board is what's i think going to help you kind of turn the corner as opposed to the yorian deck where you're relying on really powerful main deck cards to yeah. just kind of be favored in any situation can you give your impression for both decks going forward then maybe say like four color this team or this yeah, I think you, you want to play four color if you're up against a ton of control because you also have to ferry. Mm -hmm. Like, I think four color is the better deck if you're nervous about to ferry, especially. Yeah. And then teamer is really good if maybe people are shaving to fairies and chalices. Mm -hmm. And then you can just be a little bit more streamlined and surgical with the type of interaction that you have access to. Yeah. Uh, Living End is another one that gets really good post-board, but their Cascade payoffs are just better than yours, to be honest. And if they Cascade into Living End, your Rhinos are just kaput. Yeah, nowhere near as good. Yeah, so this is a, this is a matchup where I think with Teamer, Force of Negation is basically your best card, or Endurance and Blood Moon post-board. And then if you've got the four-color version, you really want to find either Force of Negation or Teferi. Yeah. And to hope that that is enough to keep them from doing their thing. Yeah, and you should be able to hold them down for a while with a Teferi in Living End. They don't have tons and tons of things to do with it, but they can take it out of your hand. But yeah. What do you think about the Elementals matchup? I never got to play it. I think that two four fours are kind of just okay against right. Elementals, but if you hit it really early, then you can be faster than Elementals. And they don't always have Force Negation main, and so you really don't have anything to stop Cascade main in the deck unless you play the version like so it really depends like the version that robert hayes had at the energy series this week you know he was playing to fairy time raveler main the build that i was playing over the weekend did not and i really wish it had so then at least you have some outs against cascade main main deck but on the other hand you know your creatures are pretty big you can kill rhinos with solitude if you have to so um i think that it's probably a medium kind of yeah kind of I, one. I think my guess educated guess is that it's winnable but elementals has the edge yeah 
I feel like solitude or fury into ephemerate is so good against rhinos that it's probably, you know, because if, if I have solitude and ephemerate, then I just get rid of everything that you just cascaded into and move, move along. So yeah, I'd say it's probably a little bit towards elementals after talking it through some. All right. Tron. God, I love playing against Tron lately. Tron does just doesn't beat anything except maybe your deck. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I felt really favored against Tron. And they, I lost a game to them because they were on the play and they had turned three Tron into Karn Liberated and just took over. Right. But game one, I was able to take them down with a little bit of interaction and, and having Rhinos early. Game three, Force of Vigor, Blood Moon, both are really good against them. And that was pretty much all I needed to, to win that one. There you go. You know, Mill came in second place in NRG. Mm-hmm. So I feel vindicated for us having Mill in our list of, you know, matchups to keep an eye out for. I think in both versions of Footfalls, Mill is pretty winnable. If you can cascade on turn three or four, mm-hmm. it is within the realm of possibility that they're just going to mill all of your Footfalls cards and then you're kind of stuck. Or they surgical you. Or they surgical. Yeah, if they do one and then surgical, you're in a lot of trouble because even if you can get to five mana to cast a Fury perhaps and you know attack for six every turn, they have tools to kill your other ancillary threats, whether it's Fury or Brazen Borrower or Omnath. Yep. So I think you really have to get lucky with the combo and then try to just beat them down with two or more Rhinos. And this is not a matchup where, in my mind, having you know, a plan B is a really viable solution. Mm. With Yogmoth, I think your game one is decent and your games two and three are quite good because of Blood Moon and Endurance. Though all of your main deck removal in game one can buy you a lot of time to just combo down before they have their combo online, whether it's Fire Ice or Dead and Gone to just like deal with their mana dorks or ignoble hierarchs or, you know, you know, hitting an undying creature kind of feels weird sometimes, but if you can time it where that even if their creature with undying is chilling with a 1-1 counter. It then puts them in a position where they don't want to block because they're going to lose it forever and it makes it harder to execute a combo with it. Or they don't get to you know, get a two-for-one in their advantage with an Eldritch Evolution either. Right. And Fury is giant against them too because it kills Yawgmoth and it can also kill multiple mana dorks like you said. So they can you can do a lot with, with Fury just on its own too. The blue-white control matchup, I think, is nearly unwinnable. Oh, wow. Okay. Basically, I, I maybe I took a game here or there. I never could win a match against blue-white. I wasn't so salty that I was scooping to Teferi, but you know, even just the regular blue-white control deck right now, having access to both Teferi and Chalice, it just it feels pretty backbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of different types of hate for you to work your way through. Yeah. And and when I mentioned that I was playing against a lot of the same type of decks across my two leagues, I just kept running into Teferi decks. Yeah. Like, there was a point where I played three Teferi decks in a row, and they were all different versions of the deck. Card's good. People want to play it. Last matchup I threw in today because of this weekend's results was Reanimator. And I think you can get there if they don't have Teferi, but he really swings the matchup in their favor if they do. Yeah. And not all Reanimator decks are running Teferi, but I think nowadays we see a reason to go Esper or, you know, some version that has access to Blue-White in order to run Teferi in addition to your Reanimator combo. So I think that's going to be a tougher matchup for Footfalls moving forward. Yeah, that makes sense. So just to close out, I will say this does remain a contender for me in Vegas personally. It's actually the only modern deck I have sleep the team version I have sleeved up still. Right. Sitting in a nice box behind me. Here, I'll, I'll point to it. Mm-hmm. That's a good radio. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about playing this or, you know, Blue Eye Control was sort of your clubhouse leader at the end of last week's show, kind of what do you think about that comparison right now? I just think we're in a situation where it's like, 
either you try to beat Teferi or you play Teferi. Mm-hmm. And when I find myself in those situations in any format, I want to be the enemy. Like, I'd rather play the card that people are afraid of and are trying to, to outplay. And what's interesting about Teferi than something like Footfalls, which I think, you know, people are trying to beat Footfalls decks. Like, that's why we're seeing Chalices uh, in so many strategies. Right. I think the difference with Teferi is that he has legs just for so many matchups and changes the rules of the game so fundamentally that it's important to maybe be the person who's asking that question and maybe demand an answer from someone else while you have your own interaction in your back pocket the whole time. Right. So we'll see. I mean... Vegas is a little over a month away. Or, no, it's a little less than a month away. Oh, yeah. I think it's uh, three weeks away, we could say. Three weeks away. A lot can still happen in the format. We're not going to see a ban, but we could see the format evolve a little bit. But this is where I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to choose between footfalls and and control for that for that day. Yep. Sounds great. All right. Well, thanks for taking us through that deck, the, the hype deck of the week, and reminding us a bit about the... Uh, previous version that's still very very viable and very successful too so you know lots of different ways to go there so let's talk about the more simple version of this deck for four color elementals itself and i think it's especially timely given that a deck that was close to what i played like we mentioned won the energy series earlier this week after um elementals just by itself being a little bit quiet recently i think on moto at least although the yorian versions and the controlish versions that have a lot of the shell are uh, really really good still i think that part of what's been going on with this deck lately is that the versions that have a combo are a bit better a bit more popular and the versions that are control have a little bit more game maybe against control and so this one that's just straight creatures has gotten a little less popular as control has gotten better because this deck does not want to see a supreme verdict you know and it has one of the things that this deck is really really good at doing is that i think it thrives in a meta that has a lot of creature decks and other and aggro decks so that you can kind of just be better at getting through the the mid-range you play better threats you get better value out of your cards than they can but if if you're in a matchup where Solitude and Fury are bad, you know, your deck is kind of bad, really, in a lot of ways. Now, the builds here are different. Like we said, uh, Robert Hayes from the Energy series played Teferi in the deck, which I think actually helps it a lot more in the current moment in the metagame. Deck I was playing had Ren and Six in it. Like I said, I thought it was fine, helped a lot with mana, with mana, but didn't really add a lot to the deck beyond that. So generally this week, I had the same problem that Stan kind of had playing against uh, the decks that I managed to play against. I only managed to get one league in, but I only played against Jeskai Stoneblade, which was a Teferi deck that also had Fury and Solitude in it. I played against a blue-white Lantern prison deck that had Solitude in it. So I had some Solitude and kind of like back and forth going on there. I played against Elementals, four-color Elementals, and then I played against the Cascade Elementals deck that Stan was talking about, the four-color Teamer deck, and I played against Tron. So four of the decks that I played against had Solitude. Three of them had Fury and Solitude both, and I think four of them had Teferi Time Raveler in them. So I had a lot of kind of stuff getting bounced, not being able to cast cards on their turn, having to work around that, um, stuff that made me feel like I wasn't quite sure how good this version of this deck is right now. And one of the main reasons is that I don't think I ever really, really, really got going with Risen Reef 
in mm. in any of the games that I had, where I wasn't really able to turn it into kind of like the incredible card advantage engine that it is in so many decks, because I think people know that you have to kill it now, yeah. and maybe for a while people didn't realize that it that you could get away with that. And the, the first trigger just isn't enough? I mean, it's good. I definitely felt good about it, but it's not... You know, I would have rather played if I'm only going to get that first trigger. I'd rather play Muldrifter, unless you know, if I hit a if you hit a land and ramp, it is pretty good because then you're talking about being able to do like Omnath plus a fetch land on the next turn, and you get a lot of stuff going on with that if you if you manage to pull that off. So yeah, I had kind of like a complicated way with this with this deck playing it. So many triggers, so many different things going on. I think that we've talked a lot of, about the core cards of this this deck, but I will just point out some of the things that might surprise people. One is that a lot of the ver the version that I played, and I think a lot of the versions that are out there right now are playing multiple mold drifters as a way to be able to increase the amount of card draw that you get off of your ephemerates. It lets you be able to get going with um, just kind of like smoothing the wheels when you get to kind of like turn three and you're not sure what else you're supposed to be doing because the deck is pretty reactive. A lot of times you kind of end up sitting there holding solitude and fury until you have a good time to cast them because you want to get value off the coming to play triggers. Um, Prismatic Ending in my mind is one of the most important cards in this deck because it helps you get away from things that can kind of main deck hose you in different ways or even post sideboard hose you. Things like Blood Moon, like Stan mentioned, or things like... Um, ensnaring bridge or things like those things that you you run into where you're not really sure what's gonna where it's coming you know i played against one match where you know the prison opponent brought in torpor orb against me and it's like all of my cards are bad <laughs> against torpor <laughs> orb so i needed to figure out how to like kill an uh kill an ensnaring bridge and also kill a torpor orb in different matches there where um so that I could continue with my plan. So there's a lot of ways to mess with the creatures in this deck, and you don't have the fallback of, you know, like a Yorian plan where you're pulling in something that's really powerful on the sideboard. You know, I was playing with Kahira, the Orphan Guard, who's like a lord for elementals mm. more than anything else. Never cast it, never put it in my hand the whole time. So I, I'm not sure how great it is. It's fine, but um, never really had time to do that. Um, and... The the other thing is, you know, I didn't have a combo to fall back on, so. Well, you do have Omnath, which is just a combo with all your lands. Yeah, I mean, Omnath, great. It helps you against other aggressive decks. You draw a card with it. You can ephemerate it to draw extra cards. It lets you have those really broken turns where you do get to hard cast a Fury and a Solitude in the same turn. Sometimes where you're kind of like, okay, well, I got Omnath out, and Omnath is protected, and now I'm going to cast 10 mana worth of stuff on turn 5 or something, or, you know, sometimes even on turn four, if you manage to ramp into it with Risen Reef, like I mentioned. But it did feel like there was a lot of kind of like ups and downs to me when I was playing this deck. One thing that's interesting is uh, Robert also had Utopia Sprawl in his deck, and I did not have Utopia Sprawl in the build that I was playing. The build that I was playing was by Magic Online player Corfuria, who went 4 0 in a prelim a couple of days ago with it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Instead of Utopia Sprawl, I was playing um, Eldamri's Call. And I'll tell you, that was another card that I felt like was just kind of okay as I was playing it. So anyway, we've talked about the cards that are in this deck a lot. Why don't we talk about some of the matchups that, or my impressions of what I think the matchups could be like for this deck at this point in time. And you haven't played against, or haven't piloted this deck at all, right, Stan? Just this version? Not this version. The last time I pilot elementals was when we did tribal week oh yeah many yeah. moons ago yeah yeah i mean you've played something close to it because you've played all the good cards from it at this point well, but minus the pitch element right I, I played with the pitch elementals just never within an elementals tribal deck right so 
starting with our kind of list of matchups, Hammer, as we mentioned when Stan was going through his deck, I think that Elementals has been pretty good against Hammer because of all the interaction with creatures. I feel like we've kind of we kind of followed covered that in the four color uh, Cascade version. But having both damage and exile effects um, is huge. And then you can also bring an artifact interaction from the side in the form of um, Foundation Breaker and Force of Vigor, things like that that really help you in that situation. Even occasionally if you want to like try to... Uh, I mean, that that's, that's kind of like where you would go with that. Jund. I still think that Elementals might be able to get more two-for-ones than Jund can realistically and be able to just play more threats than Jund can kill. And so while Jund gets to do fun things with um, Shadow Spear and with Urza Saga to make extra tokens, and I think that you can kind of keep a lid on it, especially with all the creature removal that you have. You can kill their Ragavan. You do have a tough time killing Tarmogoyf with Fury, of course, because it gets bigger than that pretty quickly, but you have Solitude. And so you can kind of top out there and, and do a lot of stuff. Um, you can kill their Renin Six pretty easily with Fury and things like that as well. So I think that the check mark goes with Elementals, mostly because your two for ones are better, and also you have legit card draw on the deck that I think can help you recover from discard spells if you get if they are really going with that early on. Burn. Um, I think that this matchup is actually probably pretty decent for Elementals too, because you can pitch Fury and kill their early threats, and then potentially, you know, if you're careful with your fetching. You can keep your life total pretty high. You run a number of basic lands in this deck. You know, you, I was running two forests of planes and an island in that build that I had. So I had ways to bring mana in untapped without bringing in, um, without taking extra damage from it. And you don't have a ton of early plays that you want to make that you have to make in order to get your game plan going. So you can wait and see how life totals evolve before you figure out, you know, you can bring a shock land in tapped because you're really not trying to do a turn one play, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that having the pitch elementals helps you do stuff while you're not taking too much damage from your uh, mana. But keep in mind, I think in order to stay viable, you have to be really conservative with your your mana and work towards just getting Omnath online as, as fast as possible. So I played that matchup from the burn side and I kind of felt like Omnath was unbeatable mm -hmm. in, in most both situations yeah i mean you are the only you know there's no way for uh burn to kill an x4 in the main deck right like most of what burn tries to do is rely on um totally forgetting the name of the card suddenly the one that targets a creature and then does three damage to the opponent um you know what i'm talking about blazing searing blaze searing blaze yeah you're, you're concentrating on searing blaze as a way to like kill something and get some extra damage in at the same time for your mana and that's just not super effective here because you can't really kill the threats you can kill Fury and Solitude with it, but uh, you know we're all looking at Omnath here. Yeah, Murktide. Um, it feels like zero mana interaction that kills Murktide is good, <laughs> but, but the counters are probably tough to get through sometimes, especially in versions that play Force of Negation main. I know that they don't always, always, always play a lot of those main, right? Stan Murktide's not always playing 4x Force main, right? Sometimes it's like one or two. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So you're kind of keeping yourself covered in that way. Fury versus Ragavan and Dragon's Rage Channeler is generally pretty good. I think as far as those things go, it's a situation where you can often turn your Fury into a card neutral play. You know, that's the thing that I think is different between Fury and Solitude is that Solitude is pretty much always card disadvantaged when you pitch, right? It's a two for one. 
unless you get to ephemerate and they have a lot of token or a lot of targets out and then you can kind of like even it out but with fury sometimes you pitch a red card pitch your fury and then you kill two of their creatures and then you're feeling pretty good about that exchange because you're keeping on pace and then you know who knows if you get in a situation sometimes where someone has multiple you know a third target out there somehow you can feel really really good about it it's not going to happen in a murktide matchup but so i think that it can be tough for murktide to keep up with the card advantage here the murktide itself must be a problem though yeah i mean you only have solitude as an out to that and if you're i mean if you're playing to fairy then you can bounce it which is nice uh if you're not playing to fairy then yeah i think it is a pretty big problem uh that you have to keep an eye out for i did not play this matchup directly but um you do draw a lot of cards so i think you probably can get to solitude if you want it it's just a question of whether they have the mana up to counter it when you cast it or not and they can't force a negation your your solitude anyway so you get in the situation where they wait to make sure that they have it covered so did your version have flamekin david harbinger i did not have flamekin harbinger in the deck seems like a good piece i was looking at the deck and kind of not picking versions that had that but the mm. one the one that i played had like Thunderkin Awakener to be able to bring back your Risen Reefs, which is kind of an interesting play to draw a card. But um, I think Flamecone Harbinger is probably better to make sure that you get a Solitude more often when you really, really need it. Yeah, maybe that's a meta call as well. Yeah. Like when you need to have some of these surgical elementals to help interact with certain problem cards. Yep. Um, Living End and also Footfalls. So the build that I had didn't have a lot of tech to help with this. I think that it's pretty easy to move your deck over to be able to have cards that are good against Cascade, in particular Teferi, that I've talked about a bunch of times here that I wish I had in my deck. <laughs> but, um, you know, Living End, you don't have any mass creature kills, so if they get going, you're just kind of done. You can't recover from a Living End that's cast. There's no way to kill the creatures that they have there. Um on the footfall side, you can kind of fury and solitude and block your way through a couple of rhinos. The problem is if they have it covered where they have an extra rhinos or or another cascade spell, you don't have any way to too, too many ways to counter spells. You have some force and negation in the side, and that's kind of it, kind of it. Um, so it feels to me like both of these are kind of bad matchups for elementals. Now could be wrong, but that's my guess. What do you think? Having played that so many times. I haven't played it as many times as you think. Yeah. I trust your judgment. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tron, that's a really tough matchup. You know, we talked a little bit about the Obsidian Chain Maw kind of thing where it can, you know, you can ephemerate your your Chain Maw and take three of their lands, but I don't really think it's enough to really do what what you hope it's going to do consistently enough against Tron. You know, the the neat thing about Chain Maw, the more we talk about it and I think about it, is that it does the things where... Oh, Char Maw. Sorry, not Chain Maw. Char Maw. Char Maw. You know how we talk about Blood Moon versus Tron isn't always enough, right? right? You have you need disruption in a clock, and the Char Maw is both of those things. Yes. Like it's, it's disrupting the lands, and it's presenting a, a clock that sometimes they can't kill. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> I still think it's kind of not powerful enough. It doesn't close the game quite fast enough on its own to do it. So you really, you know, you can't hard mull into Obsidian Charmaw against Tron. It's just a good card in your deck that helps you early, I think. You know, but if you get into a, a hand where it's like, the only thing I have is enough lands, is Charmaw and enough lands to cast it, I think you still kind of die because your clock isn't fast enough and they can recover. Yogmoth, classic good matchup for Elementals. Mill, I think, is probably an okay matchup for Elementals because it's tough. Like, you 
actually thinking about it now, you might be too slow. You you don't insta die to Tasha's hideous laughter, which I think is a good thing, but you are constantly searching up your you're searching through your library, so you're super um you're super vulnerable to Archive trap. Do you have endurance though in the seventy-five? You have endurance in the side, and some of the decks have one main, so that helps too. Where you can put your put your graveyard back into your deck is definitely a way to get around it post board. So I think that there's probably a decent back and forth here between those two decks. Your clock is like just a little bit too slow though, because you so often don't aren't able to put a strong threat on the board until the turn. Four. I just want to rewind briefly. Why is Yogmoth a classic good matchup? Because of Fury and Solitude. I see. Like I think it's just destroy. It's a creature combo deck, and you have tons of free creature removal, so you can just keep them from ever getting to set up shop. I think I buy it. Yeah, you don't even have that much uh, graveyard hate. You just have endurance in the sideboard. You don't have anything hard extra after mm-hmm. that. But um, I think it helps. And then Blue Eye Control, I think, is a really bad matchup for Elementals because. You um, you don't have a lot of targets for your removal. I mean, you can use Fury on their Planeswalkers. You can use Solitude on their Solitudes if you want to. But really, the Supreme Verdict is the, the biggest problem, I think, where they can just, when you get a board up, they can just hold Supreme Verdict for that and then, then kill you. And then you can't do anything about it because you can't counter it. So you're a little bit too far in, I think. Reanimator, I th- I'm a little unsure about this one, but I think that it's probably really dependent on solitude because you're that's the only card that interacts positively with their payoffs so you bring endurance in post board and probably force negation post board to be able to help disrupt their plans and so it's probably better a bit better than but i think main it's not great probably pre-board it's probably not a great matchup you know sidebar on reanimator spike wins the modern challenge saturday with it mm-hmm. i played a league match saturday night immediately just run up against Spike's deck. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of interesting how quickly Moto moves like that sometimes. As soon as someone wins a tournament, and with these rental services in particular, it's just, it's on. Well, even with the Urinos deck from earlier this week, like as soon as Doomwake posted that on Twitter and was like, hey, I got a trophy with it, right. I, there were people in our in our Discord talking about it. There were people, I think other people streaming it immediately. I, it does, it moves so fast. Which is why I think that it's a good point, Stan, when you said, hey, there's still like three weeks between now and when Vegas happens. There's plenty of time for stuff to happen in the meta between now and then. I you know, there's, I don't think, I'm, I, I'm still confused as to whether Crimson Vow is going to be legal. It will not, because that weekend is also the Crimson Vow pre-release. Yeah. I think, well, there's a sealed tournament on Saturday. Right. So that's a good point. I, I don't think it is, but I could be wrong. So I, you know, I only bring that up by way of saying, there's not even any new injection of cards coming between now and then of, of any kind, right? So it's not like, um, you know, it's not like the Midnight Hunt had a huge effect on Modern. Like there are Midnight Hunt cards in Modern, but mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, you could have two or three cards that really displace Memory them. Deluge. Yeah, Memory Deluge is probably the biggest one right now. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but... Faithful Mending. Yeah, Faithful Mending. Yeah, consider. So yeah, it makes changes. It's, uh, I mean, as long as we're on this topic, what about the fact that the paper meta and the online meta move at different paces? And let's say, like, the Monday before Vegas, someone like Spike or Doomwake crack open a new deck that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's better against the Moto than it is an open field of, like, two, 300 players in a paper tournament. Yeah, it's that's totally thing, true. Right? Yeah, I, I think that's still a thing. I also think that the bigger tournaments just have higher randomness 
too. Like I remember going to GP, you know, the, I haven't been to a GP in a long time. The last time I went to a GP was probably 2017. I think when Shane and I went to play modern in Indianapolis, I went to a sealed one, but the, the less constructed one I went to and you know, I played against like someone's pack rat blood moon deck and I played against someone's um, spirits deck, not meaning like spirit spirits, but meaning like black, white spirits from Kamigawa block deck. And like, I I play, you play against random things sometimes, even if you go to a premier event like this. So sometimes you just don't run into meta decks the same way that you are. So you do have to watch how tuned you are for the exact meta where you're right on moto. It's a lot of meta decks or close to meta decks. Like, I think right. there are people brewing little tweaks. Like, I played against Jeskai, Jeskai Stoneblade, and the whole thing that Jeskai Stoneblade was trying to do was basically just run Fury and Solitude and Teferi together in a Stoneforge shell. So, you right. know, varying, varying degrees of success. Oh, and Ragavan. It had Ragavan as well. Yeah, yeah. But sorry to cut you off. That's okay. You know, I I think that this deck is a good pick when there are a lot of creature decks floating around. And I think that if you look at, like, if we look at the top eight of this trial that it just won, you know, you had Hammer, Rhinos. So it, this, to me, looks like a pretty tough top eight for Elementals to win. So, you know, take my, my meta, uh, my matchup analysis with a grain of salt. But it managed to fight through what looks to be a couple of footfalls decks a controlled deck two different control decks and it beat mill in the in the final which i think is probably just about how fast you can get your clock online but i still think that um if there are a lot of creature decks floating around i think that helps elementals be better because it's sort of really focused on just being able to kill creatures as efficiently as possible and then play bigger threats on the subsequent turn so it's a little bit of that kind of like it's almost like trying to jund them out in a traditional sense where it's like, I'm going to kill your stuff and then play better things and you can't. If you play your earlier on-curve threats now, they're not going to be as good because I have Omnath. Um, I think it's risky because the meta turns so quickly, and I think that this particular version of Elementals needs to fit a certain moment really well. And so that's kind of why I think that the version like you played or the version that Canister played, for example, where it is more of a band control-ish deck or a slightly bigger deck that has more of a proactive plan on itself other than just attacking, might be better fits overall and better fits more often than just this kind of like Risen Reef version of Elementals really, really is. I've, I've been pretty hyperbolic about this deck. I'm sure you, you might agree. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying how it's good against control, it's good against burn, it like can cover these two different sides of this metagame. Do, do you think I was a little too hot on it? On Elementals? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's good against Control, personally. I mean, Control is tuned right now to be good against Cascade, of course. Right. So, like, Chalice of the Void doesn't mean anything to me. Right. But Teferi still means something to me. And Supreme Verdict means a lot to me. So I, I don't think that this deck is particularly good against Control. But I, I wonder if part of that is because you didn't get cool Risen Reef Muldrifter synergies going. Yeah. Because that felt like the thing, Risen Reef plus Omnath felt like the thing that I, as a control pilot, was tough to keep up with. Tough to keep up with. Yeah. yeah. But then you can just sweep the board. And I don't really have a great, great way to come back from that unless I'm keeping Muldrifter handy, mm -hmm. you know, which is mm -hmm. like maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But um, it doesn't feel great to play Divination basically on a creature. <laughs> right. You know? As much as I want it to be really good in the situation, I'm not sure if, it, if you know, after you wrath me, I'm, I really feel like I'm doing it when I'm like, yeah, I played a 2-2 two, two flyer and drew two cards for five. 
it's for you to just solitude it again. So I don't know. Like I said, I only got a certain amount of testing in with this, and I feel like this deck is really hard to play. Uh, there's so, especially in a bunch of things that are essentially mirror matches. So in my notes, I had is about you know the mirror match against other elementals is really kind of awful and taxing. Oh. To play because it's just so many comes into play it's like what sequence are you going to do who's going to blink first and put a threat into play so i can play my solitude so you can play your solitude and it's like it's a lot well what mirror match isn't awful yeah that's true so i don't think this is in the consideration set for me if i were to go to vegas which probably not going to <laughs> but um i i don't think that this is i would probably be more inclined to play john personally but that's yeah. that's just me than i would play this one now would I go on from here and try some of the, the Yorian ones? I think I probably would. But in that case, I still wouldn't be looking to have a Risen Reef in my, my deck, I don't think, right now. Can we maybe close out with a little talk about some of these cards that we got to play with yeah. in both of our decks? So Solitude, Fury, Omneth, and Teferi, our overlap was, you know, your deck had some of them, and then my Yorian deck had some of them. Right. I didn't play Ren and Six. You didn't play Ren and Six. No, I played Ren Six. I didn't play Teferi. Oh, okay. Though I think okay. I should have had a split or found a way to play both, or I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I feel like Teferi is borderline problematic right now, and this could change, right? Like problematic cards come and go, and maybe he has a long life ahead of him. But I'm a little troubled by the fact that right now he's sort of the backbone of so many decks. And also just like shuts down an entire corner of modern by himself and becomes the focal point of so many matchups in particular. It feels like there's so much disruption packed into his one card, right? Where it's like, this is the best disruption against counterspells, against things that try to play at instant speed for other reasons, against things that try to cheat with mana, against things that um, are big threats that I just want to bounce, like Murktide. You know, Teferi's really good against Murktide. So, like, I just... I worry about it a little bit, too, just because there's not that much diversity in the disruption package that people are incentivized to play right now, in that sense. And also, it's just boring to play against. Like, I... And the other thing is, like, in paper... Just got to remember, like, you can't do stuff on your opponent's turn or, like, any time that you want to do stuff. And so it's like, you know, Moto helps you not make that mistake. But I got to think, I still hate these Planeswalkers with static abilities. It just doesn't feel like they should do stuff. But you can cycle your triumph. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Or you can cycle a Shark Typhoon, too. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, to that effect, I think Teferi's the first card in this Road to Vegas series that I've played with and against that felt like. I don't know if it really belongs in modern long term. Mm, what a call! And I like playing him. You know, like I, I, I've owned fairies for a long time. I, I think it's a cool card to play with, but I don't know if that necessarily makes for a better format. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a complaint that people have had about that card for a long time. So you may be right. I mean, it's not in historic. It's not in pioneer. Yeah. Now that said, solitude and fury, I think, are awesome. They're awesome, but I got to tell you. You know, when when Solitude was spoiled, people were like, this card is going to be absurd and it's going to make it impossible to play creature decks. And I think for a while there, it kind of seemed like it wasn't true. And then when people realized that Fury was almost as good as Solitude or 
as good in other situations as solitude is in, in the situations that it's good. They they are the pitch elementals are starting to get kind of like, okay, like a little bit of a collar tug for me where I'm like, how many mirrors am I gonna play where people have an eight pack of these cards every time? Is that gonna go on forever or don't you think though that playing them comes with a cost? Yeah, yeah. But or like if if you're two for one in yourself, bare minimum. Or, you know, sometimes with Fury you can like three for one your opponent or like two for two the math that goes all over the place but like i just feel like because they have this built-in cost and they're and they can be pretty expensive to cast except for endurance like they're all four or five mana i feel like they're a little less problematic they, they lead to less non-games they kind of just like sway the metagame in a certain direction they just lead to a lot of really grindy games with a lot of kind of like material trading and it, it feels like people are really like you were talking about how decks are really incentivized to play to fairy right now i feel like decks are really incentivized to play solitude and fury right now too so which is why sure. we keep ending up with this core of these five cards being so prominent in modern at this moment ren and six doesn't feel problematic at all you know what i mean Agreed. it just feels like it's there all the time yeah. and omnath is not as much of a worry as it was to me when we first saw it kind of like coming around but it's still it does put a big kind of like lid on aggro i think and as, as well as burn is doing right now you know the decks that are aggressive outside of burn i think are doing very different things to be able to like make their plans possible what do you think is the best deck in the format i think it might be i, I still think it I, I think that there's a chance that it's the deck that you played this week that it's the four color your yorian yeah i think yeah yorian rhinos i think there's a chance that that's the best deck i kind of think it's still blue white you think it's still blue white? Because we also haven't seen blue white evolve much. Yeah. In the last month or so, it's sort of kind of it's found its shell because it found a, a metagame that it can attack. But I think because we've been seeing the metagame start to really churn in the last few weeks, I think we could see evolutions to blue white that help it stay ahead of the pack. You know, it's just going to be prowess. That's what it's going to be. You're hearing about about two more weeks. It's coming. It's coming back. What happened? What happened? Like I keep seeing these Jeskai prowess decks in the leak results that do nothing in tournaments. Yeah, because everybody's playing Fury and Solitude. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, I mean, imagine playing blue blue red prowess and having someone go Fury ephemerate against <laughs> against you or or yeah. Solitude ephemerate against you, and it's like okay, I lose two creatures this turn. I lose one creature the next turn. Like that's um, it's tough. All these Car, all these decks that used to go a little bit wide, there's it's not easy to do that anymore. Yeah, I played against one Monterey Prowess deck with one of my Footfalls versions, I think just Teamer, and I kind of just trounced it. Yeah. But it didn't have to ferry. So eventually I was able to just like deal with their creatures and, and play Rhinos. Be, be on my merry way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think another another fun tour around modern. Not sure how many more of these we have between now and when we actually have um, the tournament. So maybe what we can do next week is plan to talk with Shane about final thoughts, or maybe we'll see if there's a couple of decks left that we want to look at. No one's played Living End yet. True. Or with it. True. I think someone might need to, to hit up Living End, but that could be an addendum to an episode about other stuff. We haven't played Reanimator in a little while. You know Shane will want to do that. That's also true. There you go. So there's a couple, there's decks left to look at. We got some, we got some ideas in, in the hopper. Maybe we can get Shane to play both of those decks while you and I just sit back and take a day off. Bark orders. <laughs> All right. That wraps up this week's show. Shane, we missed you. Come back soon. Everyone else, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. 
And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to The Dive Down or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, email thedivedown at gmail.com, or even submit an audio message. If you have a question for the pod, you might hear it on a future episode of The Dive Down over at podinbox.com slash The Dive Down. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. We're joining at any tier. It gets you access to our definitely discreet Discord server. Find us over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 2021, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and keep practicing for Vegas, baby. Baby.